Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesanov. This week, you get uh, twice as much as you bargained for because I have the honor and pleasure of presenting this week's guests, which um, are Lucy and Alex De Silva. Lucy and Alex together founded and run the Happy as Larry group. They are basically coaches and therapists with a wide palette of um, abilities and offerings for people to get them back on track and address very many areas that we all have problems in to getting forward in our lives. But the one area of interest which um, both of them have great experience in and specialize in and is the one thing I'd like to focus on this week is the topic of addiction. Now, Alex has sadly personal experience of that. And because of that and his amazing road to success, recovery and thriving now, I would say, he speaks regularly in schools and prisons and in treatment centers on all issues. But significantly, that one, I'm sure, comes up. And Lucy, as a therapist, um, specializes in treatment of addictive behaviors. And in fact, is just finishing up her master's in addiction psychology and counseling. So this is a team to be reckoned with on this subject. So first of all, both of you, welcome. And thank you for taking the time to join me. No, thank you. Hi. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, yeah especially thank you to Lucy. She's a new mum and anyone who's been there knows how exhausting that time is. So very many thanks for taking the time. So let's get stuck in. Now, an interest in this subject and in doing even what you're doing, I know from, from personal experience, always comes with a, a bit of a history and a reason for getting there. So perhaps, Alex, do you want to start off and just tell us a little bit about how you got to be a Happy as Larry group founder? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it started with the um, well, with, with the topic of choice, really. It began for me of uh, Lucy and I met. Um, Lucy has been in recovery for, for a number of years and I met her, you know, through through you know channels and you know and, and we got together and I started to then realize there was a lot of changes I need to make in my life. And that kind of brought us together, you know, and we, we both always had this passion to want to help other people, you know, and so Happy as Larry Group began because of that idea. And we came up with this mission statement, which is helping to change the world one person at a time. The company name came simply out of a typical British saying, or it's actually it's a world-known saying, which is, you know, happy as Larry. And she asked me, you know, how are you feeling today? We were actually just finished that. I finished speaking somewhere and um, we both did. And we were sat in the car on the way home. Cut the story short. She asked me how I am. And I said, oh, I'm happy as Larry. And then she just turned to me and said, who the hell is this Larry? And why are we always so happy, you know, with this guy? How can we always measure our happiness compared to this man? Weirdly enough, we searched, you know, who Larry is and Larry's Larry Foley. This guy's a you know a New Zealand boxer who was actually, funnily enough, he was a um, an underdog, and he was fighting for a world championship, and people didn't think he was going to win. And weirdly enough, he actually beat the, the the person and ended up winning this huge purse. And the front of the newspaper says "Happy as Larry," and um, and that's where the concept of the business, you know, it kind of grew from there. What we wanted to do is to help people 
overcome their adversity, whatever struggles or sufferings that they were going through, he wanted to help them to kind of overcome that. So become happy as Larry. And that's where the, the business began. You know, I qualified as a, as a life coach and, and a mindfulness practitioner. I now specialize my coaching more around emotional intelligence. That's something I'm absolutely fascinated by and also kind of performance. So really getting the best out of people. I'm the, uh, I'm the hype guy. Lucy specializes in, in therapy and, and she'll talk you through that, you know, and, and really explain exactly what she does and, and a little bit of her story. So that's kind of where we are. You know, we're, we're a very humbling little family business and, you know, we're, we're slowly, you know, growing and then kind of finding our steps, you know, in this, in this huge world of business. And, um, yeah, and, and we are here today. Yeah, it's wonderful. So it wasn't always that way, though. Um, your, your beginnings were really very different, which is, you know, clearly the reason why you have an interest in all this stuff. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What, you know, what were your personal experiences? Sure, no, absolutely. So I, I grew up in, in Brazil. I came to, to the UK. I came to London when I was 11 years old. And I didn't know this then, but I know now that I've always had that kind of addictive behavior. People talk about addictive behaviors all the time. And, you know, I didn't realize just how much of an addict I was until, you know, until I met Lucy and came into recovery and then realized Jesus, I, you know, I could literally grab onto anything, you know, I can cross addict, and I did, I cross addicted into everything. So my journey began, you know, at a very young age. You know, my first and longest addiction um, was um, food. You know, that's one of the things I got addicted to. I got addicted to it because I always felt very different. You know, emotionally, I always felt, I just felt... I was going to say strange, but strange is not the word. So I'm going to stick to different. I just felt different. You know, I've always been a very happy kid. I've always been hugely positive. And, you know, the people that know me, I'm always smiling. I'm always very happy and very outgoing and very optimistic. But the one thing that, you know, I, I, I remember even pinpointing this as a kid, you know, I always felt something inside, like internally, something wasn't right. Something just didn't sit right with me. So in order for me to, to kind of change that, the, the way that I was feeling, I turned to food. I didn't know how to express my emotions. I grew up in an environment that, unfortunately, it wasn't welcome, you know, for me to kind of express how I'm feeling. At the times that I did, the people that were around me, and not to kind of discredit them in, in any way, but they just didn't know how to handle that either, you know. And I guess we grow up in a society where, you know, we're told, don't cry, don't do this, man up. You know, and and I was just one of those kids that got told exactly the same thing, you know, by my caregivers, then as well as, you know, being in school, being out in society. I was, you know, a, a very sensitive child, um, very, very intelligent, very creative. But, you know, my I just couldn't deal with, with my emotions. You know, I really couldn't deal with it. I struggled with it really, really badly. And I think... You know, with any human being, we all feel emotions, whether you're a man or a woman. I think men suffer from it a little bit more because we get told, we get given that message from a very young age, just man up, you know, just shut up, deal with it and be a man. And that was the thing for me. You know, that was the message. That was the continuous message. Be a man, be a man. So for me, I bottled it. And because I didn't know how to express that, it then turned to food. From food, it then became alcohol. 
when it became relationships, it became sex, and it became drugs. So later on in life, I didn't touch any drugs really until I was in my mid to kind of late late twenties. So my whole life, I've always I was addicted to exercising, relationship, food, as I said, you know, drinking. Um, but drinking alcohol being one of them, because it was socially accepted, and especially here in this country, you know, come Friday, now it seems to be Wednesday, Thursday. It's you know, obligatory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've had a bad day at work or somebody annoyed me or I was having, you know, I was finding an excuse to get out of my relationship. I'd self-sabotage and just go out for the weekend, you know, and just go out and drink. And because it was socially accepted, nobody turned around and said to me, you're an alcoholic, because I wasn't a daily drinker either. You know, so what I did is I was a binge drinker and I and I realized today I didn't then the reasons why I was drinking. I, I'm not the person that can go out and just have one. You know, I can't just and I've said that so many times. I'm just going to go out for one and then I'll come back. And uh, it never happened. Never happened for me. And um, it got worse from there. You know, my relationship got worse. My self-sabotaging got worse. That kind of that emotional pain. Um, we call it a uh, spiritual malady, you know, that, that kind of just that disconnect just got worse and worse for me. And then I turned to drugs and I started with cocaine and, you know, that was something that almost became, you know, very much daily use. Um, and it went on for, for, for years until, you know, until I met Lucy and, um, you know, Lucy then introduced me she you know she'd been in recovery you know a little bit longer than me and she was so open you know about her journey and what happened to her and, and she'll tell you about her journey that it just blew me away you know somebody that can just be so open about their emotions their struggles and what happened to them and just not not for one second feel like I was going to judge her or anything like that. You know, she was just so free and discussing it. That made me feel so comfortable. And we hadn't even met by this point. You know, we had met on Tinder. So I kind of swiped right, she swiped right, and we matched. And we were literally just having, you know, this this conversation. We started speaking on the phone. And this beautiful relationship developed from there, you know. And the darkest point for me was, you know, I tried to, to, to take my own life. Uh, I tried to commit suicide a number of times. And it got to the point for me just before I met Lucy that the suicides didn't work. I tried three times, didn't work. Sleeping pills just didn't work. Alcohol didn't work. So what I was doing is I was just trying to consume as much alcohol and drugs as I possibly could. I had two overdoses. Still nothing happened. And um, in fact, I even kind of joked about it. Today, I was pitching somebody and I turned around and said to them, I said, I'm not even able to die. You know, and then I, and, and which was weird. I kind of joke about it now, but in a very humble way, because I understand that, you know, my higher power, and I choose to call that, that God for me, you know, there was a reason why I'm here. There was a reason why, you know, my guides or higher power or whatever you want to call it, they wanted to keep me here. They said, listen, kid, you're not going anywhere, you know. Thank and, goodness um, for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. You know, I wouldn't have met this beautiful woman and, you know, and, and I stuck around. I stuck around long enough to turn around and just say, you know what, okay, well, look, if, if this isn't going to happen, I'll just keep trying to kill myself and something's going to happen from there. Um, but I did get to the point where, I, you know, I almost gave up. And I actually, I did. I gave up a few times. And that's one of the things I don't regret a lot in life. But where I am today, that's one of the things I kind of feel sad for myself 
the fact that mm-hmm. I just wanted I, that I just gave up and you know certain points that I just wanted to end things, you know, because it's such a cowardly thing to do, you know, and and I and very selfish of me because I wasn't thinking of anybody else other than just myself. And um, but I think that's what sadness and and desperation does does for you. So your recovery, you said, was was kind of hooked up to to meeting Lucy. So if I can bring Lucy in, Lucy, what's what is your story? How how did you go down that road? Um, and what was what was the journey? Um, okay. Uh, well, firstly, thanks for letting me shoot off and check. <laughs> <laughs> babies, are babies are very demanding creatures <laughs> we all understand that um yeah so how did what what my journey so uh well my, i drunk a lot basically um and i started drinking from an early age and like alex said that it was uh social it was recreational it was fun and and you know when I think about what when I used to drink um I did have lots of really good times you know and otherwise I wouldn't have done it you know so it had it had a reward for me in a sense um but my story is that I came from um well uh, started off living with my mum and my dad and my siblings in East London very humble beginnings as well um and it was you know, just normal-ish childhood up until I was about six or seven years old and um, my mum and dad divorced and my mum met a a new man and this man was uh, just really horrific to all of us and we suffered a lot of um, quite serious abuse um, and it was, uh, you know, um, it was uh, physical violence, um, it was sexual abuse, um, it was voyeurism, it was uh, neglect, it was basically any kind of abuse that you can imagine that we, we went through. So it couldn't have been more different from the life that we'd started off living. Um, and, you know, saying that, you know, we didn't have a 2.4 children life to start with. My dad he's a musician and he wasn't really interested in in spending time with us so we didn't really know a father figure but it wasn't terrible you know before that but then that sort of moment in our lives where everything sort of changed um when I was really young um just a teenager um I was only 15 and I was left alone in a house with my sister uh, to live on our own basically I think I'd just just come out of school so I was just coming to 16 and you know, you'd think now I look, I look at 16 year olds now and I think, Christ, like they, you know, no child of that age should be left in a house on their own to fend for themselves. But yet we, we were, and yeah, it was, you know, it was, a it, I, I guess it was almost an escape as well because we man, we'd managed to um, kind of get away from, from that, you know, toxic environment um, but anyway, fast forward into to when my drinking got bad. Um, I had a lot of fun times in my teens and because I kind of just couldn't do what I want. I didn't have any responsibilities and I didn't have uh, parents really to answer to. So I basically just went from one place to the next and chose what I wanted to do with my life. And I w- I'm a trained singer as well. So I was an entertainer and I went from a seasonal uh, job to seasonal job, which, you know, did me, did me good. I didn't have a home to go to. So I just hopped from one place to the next. 
Um, my drinking took a turn for the worse, really, I think, really when I was in my early 20s, because uh, it was coupled with uh, an eating disorder as well. So I developed a binge eating disorder in my teens where I put on a lot of weight. But then when I got to a sort of 21, 22, I developed um, bulimia because I wanted to lose weight. And, um, you know, obviously that was a quicker fix for me, which now I know um, is also an addiction in itself, uh, behaviours, and because that was very, very difficult to deal with when my time came to look at that stuff. So the issue started in my early 20s. It went on, I hit my complete rock bottom when I was 30 so the difficulties were you know well over 10 years and obviously prior to that the other stuff that had happened um I was lucky enough to go into private treatment to rehab um I didn't really know I had I, I didn't realize I had a problem with alcohol um well saying that of course I knew that something wasn't right but I didn't didn't I wouldn't have classed myself an alcoholic because for me an alcoholic is an old man on a park bench you know it's not someone who's living and working in the city and mm. you know going out and drinking nice wine and and all the rest of it and uh but I was very quickly to learn that 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 wasn't what an alcoholic is you know um so yeah that's it in a nutshell really and and I you know now I'm in recovery for bulimia as well that's I started to address that when I came into recovery for my alcohol but that took a bit longer for me to get some clean time from because it was very I found it more difficult than putting down the drink because you have to eat three times a day right at least so um but yeah now I'm I'm um it's been over four years that I've been in recovery. I had a very short relapse um, when I was about a year and a half in recovery, which was only for a day that was on alcohol. So, you know, I do, I do consider myself, no, it's over five years, sorry, that I've been in, in recovery for. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell, really. It's you both of you have raised some really interesting points because like um I'm sure you're very familiar um with the work of uh Johan Hari. I know that he's very um you know, people are, are a bit undecided about um he has been criticized for a lot of his work on depression and addiction because he says that these issues are not a chemical dysfunction of the brain, but they are all basically rooted in in trauma of some sort of another. How how do you both feel about that? Um, because I, in my experience, that is actually true. Um, that that the trauma element. There may be people who are more predisposed, perhaps, to to going down the addiction route. But the very fact that you can have these cross addictions, that if you just address one, you kind of have another, and there's usually more than one going on, as as you said yourself, Lucy. That um, that that's simply because the root is actually not the chemical substance or the food or the whatever, but it's actually the emotional problem so can you talk a little bit both about that perhaps yeah um yeah uh you speak uh like we're singing from the same hymn sheet um I I through my studies at university we we obviously were able to look at a lot of theories um around uh, addiction and how it begins and where what are the roots of it and is it genetic or um you know um I, I, I believe that it's trauma linked to trauma. Um, 
I think that people have differing levels of what you would uh, define as trauma. Um, and uh, that for me, it's obvious, you know, it was obvious what trauma I, I suffered with. Um, I, I do think that because because of the way I drank, because of the way I drank alcohol and the, the way I behaved, um, it was to numb how I was feeling now I can look back and realize that I've been through a lot of stuff and I didn't I'd never learned how to regulate my emotions so my best way of dealing with that was to pick up a drink or or starve myself or on the other hand make myself sick or behave a certain way that was going to make me feel differently within myself so there's a lot to be said for uh why people uh, develop addictions in relation to the their, dis, their inability to regulate their emotions and whether that is whether you're saying that it's it's a trauma that it's linked to or whether it's just the fact that they can't regulate their emotions I think that they're they're almost in the same boat really because uh, trauma and and in a, an inability to regulate your emotions is a very closely linked thing if that makes sense um yeah and I think also none of us actually ever come out through even the happiest of childhoods without some degree of trauma and as you said if you can't control your emotions you may take a simple situation and make it a lot you know it's it's a viewpoint thing isn't it it's a perception thing yeah, I think I also I just want to um, before because I'm, I'm sure you have something to say about that as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I also I also believe that there is some genetic link as well in terms of developing an addiction because when I look at my his family history as well, there is a lot of addiction that was in my family as well. My father is a heavy drinker. Um, I think my mum has had her issues, you know, over the years as well in terms of using certain things to change how she feels or to deal with life. Um, I can look back at all of my family and, and, and everyone has had an issue in some way. But even though I say that, I guess anyone could look at anybody's family and you, I, I guess you could look at your family and there would be a handful of people that you know you'd say actually I'm sure my uncle or I'm not saying that your uncle does but you know for example <laughs> that you know that he struggled with with working too much or she struggled with um with relationships or whatever it was so the thing that that I'm interested in as well with is whether actually addiction even ex- exists. You know, if it's even a thing, or if it's just a human way of dealing with things that we we don't feel we have an ability to deal with, and it can be on a sliding scale. That's a really interesting perspective. We'll come back to that in a in a minute, Alex. Yeah. Your your take on on that is here. Yeah, I mean, for me, as I'm kind of into this journey and it's a continuous one for me so where I am at the moment with it I think a little bit with what Lucy has touched on I'm not sure whether whether it has much to do with 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 trauma but I think more around kind of any experience in life you know anything that kind of doesn't sit well with us um one of the things I I, and sometimes I even question myself like who isn't an addict you know, if you if you have the ability to learn a behaviour, 
you're an addict, you know, and, and every child from, from the day a child's born until, you know, until the day we die, we're constantly learning behaviors. You know, we're constantly learning something, you know, until we get to the point where it's in the subconscious, then it just becomes, you know, the, the brain remembers that and it's there for life, you know, with me and Lucy, and I'm sure many other people that out there who are addicts who probably don't even know, you know, we, we, we tread them up on these paths where it just becomes something that is just normal. To some of us, the way it's the way it's labeled is, well, you know, if you drink too much, you're an alcoholic. If you use too much drugs, then you're a drug addict. But what about the people that smoke? What about the people that shot too much? What about all of these kids and people who spend hours and hours and hours on social media? You know, none of these things, or people who, who consume, you know, sugar, who are massively obese. You know, there are so many different, let's call them labels, you know, that we can attach to, you know, again, another label where we can kind of call addiction and say, well, you know, there is the problem. Where does it come from? <clears throat> I think it's kind of that, it's that pattern of behavior and what we get taught, you know, throughout life. You know, so if we see mum and dad drinking or using or abusing, then what are we going to learn? We're going to learn that that's okay and that's how we cope. You know, my learned behavior was is that I saw... My mom, for example, she didn't teach me very much. She just kind of, well, she did. Uh, that's a lie. She taught me a hell of a lot. But some of the things that I learned from her was, well, let's not talk about our emotions. We, you know, I'm definitely not going to be good enough to do things. Let's just give up early and just kind of settle for, for less. And if you don't know how to cope with your emotions, deal with it in another way. You know, so what I did is I found my own little ways of coping with things. And and <clears throat> so I think it's, um, I think every single human being on the planet is an addict somewhere along the line. Now, here is my thought. I think there is a good version of that and there's a bad version of that. Like there is with selfish. You can be a good selfish person or you can be a very bad one, you know? So remove the label and we all have that 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 kind of behavior. I think it's just how we utilize that. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Perfect sense. Lucy, going back to to that really kind of like little nugget that you had there of uh, of wondering whether addiction really exists, would you would you like to go a little bit deeper into that? Because I think that's a really fascinating perspective. Yeah, it is. Um, I think what like what Alex said, I was touching on the the well trodden path, which is a, a phrase that I use all the time. Mm. And I am by no means a neuro what's it I, I don't know enough about the brain to say that I've you know I, I know about neural pathways and I know a very very small amount of it because I studied some of it at university so this is very limited knowledge and this is obviously it's just my opinion and what I think so it doesn't mean it's right <laughs> but um I I believe that like Alex said that if we um if we repeat a behavior so much and over and over again, it becomes so ingrained and so learned that we just, it's almost like it's an automatic thing to do. So for example, I, I feel angry and I know what will happen to take away my feeling of angerness. I can pick up a drink because it's going to make me feel better. So my years and years of doing that has taught me, it's almost like a sub an unconscious way of dealing with it. Like I already know I'm primed to pick up that drink at some point because that's been my solution. Um, 
And I've done that years for years over and over and over again uh, with my bulimia. That was also if if you look at um, when people actually make themselves sick, it does release a, a, a rush of, of dopamine, which is another uh, a drug within us that we all have that hap- that you is released also when you take cocaine or you drink or whatever it is or you eat sugar. Uh, so it's the same uh, biological thing that happens in the brain when somebody makes themselves sick who is a bulimic. So that in it, that again, that is another coping mechanism that will numb the, the emotions if I'm feeling whatever it is. Um, and, and that again, so again, that's that learned behavior. So with me saying that I don't think addiction exists is a very strong statement to make but what I mean by that and I don't I'm not trying to cast out on all the incredible work that people do in the addiction field because it is incredible and yes it is a thing but I think it can be damaging to label it someone an addict or an alcoholic or a drug addict I think it can be a difficult label for someone to shake for themselves as well because what that then does or can do is that you're basically it, it can demotivate people as well because they will think for the rest of their lives they are cursed with this disease and or this illness and that in itself can be a self-fulfilling prophecy that can make someone almost like they're defective and there's something wrong with them when I really don't believe that there is and for me, like, because people do still say to me now, well, why can't you drink? You know, if you've had that amount of time, you haven't drunk. So why can you not drink like a, like a normal person can now? Because what I know and what I, from, from, and the choices that I make is that I know that when I've given up drink before and I've then picked up a drink a few months later, I've gone straight back to how I was drinking that three months prior because that learned behavior is too deeply ingrained within my brain. I truly believe this, that as soon as I take that drink, it will say to me that all those, those, those neural pathways are lighting up and all of that, that feeling of uh, this is, this feels good. That's what will happen. And, and it's a dangerous place for me to go. The same with the bulimia as well. You know, it's exactly the same behavior. So, I think that there is a varying level of, uh, I'd say, addiction again. I mean, I know I'm, I'm saying that addiction isn't doesn't exist. I don't think it doesn't exist, but I think it's just a, a, a human behaviour that some people have gone too far down that road that they're really not really any way of coming back, unfortunately although you can come into recovery and you can be abstinent, which is what we choose to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that, that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, it does. It leads me actually very nicely into the next question, which is, okay, so, I mean, we've talked about the addictions. Yeah, perhaps not the right word, but whatever, the, whatever it is that you're doing, the shopping, the drinking, the drugs, the food, whatever. Essentially, we're saying or if I understand you're saying that that's sort of like a symptom um, and also a means to to dull the pain so we need to get back to the cause in order to talk about recovery so 
everyone will know that that sheer willpower by itself is probably not going to succeed long term. So when you have people come to you, both of you, how do you support them in this program of recovery? Where do you go to to look for that place where you can fit in and say, this is where I need to act? I think I, I mean, I'll yeah. kind of do one part and you can do the other. So um, I'll talk about the, the the 12 step, which is, I think, it, you know, is widely known. It's worldly known. You know, it's been around for, for you know, over 70 years. And it's been a um, a program that has worked for, for millions of people when you when you put the, the work into it. And I think what I've learned from from the, the 12 step program so far, you know, and, and it's a continuous journey, is the 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 number one step that it says on there is kind of understanding, you know, what your addiction is. It's understanding that and it's finding that acceptance. So it's accepting that, you know, that's kind of in, in, in a roundabout way, that's kind of, you know, what, what step one is. And then you, you then kind of, you work through each of the steps. There is a level of spirituality in there, which I think is really, really important. Um, and when we, you then go on to, to a journey of finding out who you are, you know, looking at character defects. So, you know, looking at, good things that you did, looking at some of the bad things that you've done, you know, and, and it kind of talks about <clears throat> looking at things that you did whilst you were in, in your addiction as well, you know, and then being able to kind of make those wrongs right. Um, what that does, it's um, it's a really interesting thing because as you're working through the 12-step the program, you're taking one step closer to finding that, that healing, but what you're doing is you're also uncovering, as you're reading through the book, you're then uncovering other people's experiences, which are very similar to yours, to understand that, you know what, we've, we all have this behavior. We've all learned to deal with it in this way. And actually, we will behave in this way, too. You know, and some people could be cheating, you know, people out of money, cheating in relationships, or, you know, as we kind of described, misbehaving in, in various different ways, or even cross-addicting. So... As we start to, to learn about ourselves as, as individuals, we then go on to that kind of healing process and understanding about those patterns of behavior. And as we get kind of further down the line, then there is an amends process. So we actually go out and, and make amends to, to, to kind of individuals. There is kind of that point, um, that sort of element of, of the healing process for yourself, but also for, for others as well, which is that spiritual side. And then they talk about the, um, the sort of the, the um, you know things that you practice on a daily basis. So you know gratitude, prayer, meditation, and one which is really really important is about helping others. You know, so going out and helping another addict, and you know helping people outside. You know, in the real world as well. So you know with your family. You know how you behave. You know with addicts, you also do that. You know outside of of you know the well in the house and outside of the house as well. So. The the process is actually really interesting because you you know it, I mean it helped me and you know since then we've kind of learned and Lucy will talk more from from her experience around the sort of the therapy side of things. Um, so yeah, hopefully that kind of sort of answers it a little bit. I'm not sure if I've missed anything. No, that sounds great, Lucy. Over to you. Uh, yeah, I mean just touching on what Alex was saying about the twelve step program is you know it's it's a it's I look at it from my point of view now and it's a it's a therapeutic program in my in my view 
um, because also we did a bit of studying around that at university as well. Um, and we learned that, we, you know, humans are social creatures anyway. You know, we are really supposed to be in, in within circles of, of other people. And addiction can be a very isolating um, issue for someone to struggle with. So I think one of the massive pluses about the 12-step fellowship is that, you know, there are millions, like Alex said, there are millions of people around the world who have got recovery from this and, you know, have thrived as a result of the 12-step program. And what the great thing about the 12-step program is that people pass it on to other people for free and without expectation of someone giving them money or there's some reward involved or they're, they're waiting for that person to, to give them something back. The most amazing thing about that program is that when somebody who has been in the program for a longer amount of time takes on a newcomer and takes them through the steps, that gives the person who's been in the program for the longer amount of time just as much as it gives a newcomer because what they are essentially doing is that they, they've they got to the end of their 12 steps. That's not to say that they're still not working them continuously, but the 12th step is to go and help another person and that helps you to continue to heal as an individual to go out and help others and that's the whole social aspect to it as well that the the sort of prerequisite of being in the program is to go on and sponsor someone else and pass this along for free so there's this continuous incredible feeling of of being of use to society because you're able to pass on this program and I think that it's absolutely incredible um, what they've done. Um, there was also what I wanted to mention is that, because you know, I know you touched on the whole trauma element around the, the use of, of drugs and alcohol, um, but there was also this experiment that was done um, called Rat Park. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. Right, okay. So um, that was also looked at, and uh, the sort of outcome of that was that um, these these rats thrived when they were around other other rats, and um, I think it went that way anyway. But that, that's that's the point I want to make is that it's um, also to do with connection as well. It's 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 we need to be connected to to others, and we need because it, it you know it's a, like I said, it's a very isolating. Um, issue to have um i keep going to say disease because i'm so programmed to say it but um but yeah also but with the therapy side of stuff um it's slightly different to the 12-step program but in a sense it's a it's quite similar really what i've learned um through my studies is is different types of therapy to put into almost like a toolbox so um in my experience and again it's very very uh uh, only a couple of years of giving people therapy um, is that not one size fits, fits all because we all go out there and we try and uh, make ourselves feel different by using certain substances um, but everyone is so unique and so different that when a client comes to me presenting with an issue I can't use the same style of, of therapy that I might use with someone else because everyone is so like I'm saying is so is so different so the great thing about the course that I've been on is that we are given almost bite-sized chunks of certain types of therapy like CBT um, person-centered and various other um, therapeutic techniques and 
And so when a client comes to me presenting me with, with their issues, um, I can sort of gauge what might work for that person. They might be a thinker, so I might use CBT techniques with them. They might come straight away with, with trauma. So, um, you know, and, and that, that in itself, in my experience, all of my clients so far have had trauma. So that, that says something. Um, and that wasn't as a result of me digging around and looking for it. You know, they eventually, they, they start to open up and tell me because, uh, that's what therapy is all about. So yeah, without sort of taking up too much of more of the time, that's, that's where I approach it. That's, that's my, my area of how, um, I help other people in, in my professional, um, life. Yeah. Why, why do you both think that, that this is such a thing? Um, do you do you think we've always been like this, or is is the lives that are the lives that we lead? You talked about you know the lack of connection being one of them because I mean you know it is getting out of all proportion. You've just got to read the news to understand like the opiate addiction in the U.S. is is completely gone crazy. But I mean you know also all of these other associated and related issues, which are sort of anxiety, depression. You know, addiction rarely comes by itself. So where do, where do you think this is coming from? I think this has been around for thousands of years. I think anyone it has, you know, uh, just kind of looking back through through history, you know, there's always been, uh, you know, alcohol. There's always been prostitution. There's always been some way, even, you know, during war, you know, if you have an emotion, you're going to try and find some way of dealing with it, you know, whether it's, it's that fight or flight, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think... You know, I think the, the biggest issue that we have now, I don't think it, uh, and again, I don't know because I wasn't, I mean, I didn't live in, in those times, but I, I truly believe that the, the way that we live now in today's society, I think we've been so conditioned to not experience our emotions. You know, a lot of people are so emotionally disconnected. I, I've heard a couple of times this week about, you know, people talk about the matrix, you know, and, um, you know, and, and just kind of being completely disconnected from that, you know, and I think it, people miss a little bit of the point that it talks about your emotional intelligence, you know, connecting your emotions to the brain. And so people don't know what to do, you know. So what do you do instead? You know, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling depressed, you know, you don't know how to deal with your emotions, you don't know how to express anger, you don't know how to express sadness, whatever emotion you might be, whatever, you know, whatever's happening for you right now, you don't know how to express that. So what do you do? You turn to the thing that, that comes the easiest, you know, because as soon as you feel some kind of emotion, what does the brain do? The brain goes into fight or flight, you know? And a lot of the times, what do we then do? We choose the easiest way to deal with it. And the way society teaches us is to just, is to do exactly that. It's not to, listen, it's okay to experience your emotions. For anybody that's listening, your emotions are not going to kill you. No one's ever died from their emotions. It's okay to just experience them. I've had to learn that. It's not easy, especially when you don't you don't have a substance or, or anything to take that away. But the most beautiful thing about experiencing your emotion is that you're allowing your body to, to self-heal, to get to know yourself again, to understand exactly why you're feeling those things. And what happens is, is by experiencing those emotions, you're also releasing the toxic things that aren't meant to be there. I truly believe the reason we suffer and the reason we keep experiencing things, it's 
It's the body's way of telling us, listen, you need to deal with this emotion. You need to deal with what's going on here. So pouring alcohol down your throat or sniffing cocaine or taking drugs or whatever your 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 solution may be, it's only a, a very short-term solution to the actual bigger problem. And the bigger problem is actually really, really small because once you look at whatever the trauma or the issue is, it actually goes really, really quickly. Once you kind of find that acceptance and, and you can go through the experience, it disappears really quickly. Right, Luz? Yeah. Um, I I was just sort of listening to what you're saying and I think that you kind of touched on some of what I wanted to say, some, some of the stuff I wanted to say, but some other things as well that came to mind is that um, I, and I've thought this for a while, I think that our current, the children that are around now, I think uh, we're heading for um, either a massive, a massive, massive problem in in the years to come. Um, Or that, you know, because I I know that the spiritual kind of movement is starting to get a bit more popular now as well with meditation and, and and mindfulness and all the rest of it. So, I mean, I do, I do hope that one day those two might, meet up in the middle and that that there isn't an issue but I think that because uh kids are growing up around everything at their fingertips that they're not learning how to feel their emotions and that that could in itself cause huge huge issues um for our for our for the NHS um, and, you know, in, in obviously different countries with the, their healthcare systems as well. I really think that that also is another reason why there are depression and anxiety is, is massive now and it's, it's spiraling. Um, so I think that that is a lot to do with it. But also, um, I think that, you know, again, going back to the whole is addiction a thing. I think we, we wouldn't be here as a race if we hadn't learned to repeat behaviors that felt good as well you know let's let's be frank about this when you have sex and have an orgasm you want to do it again and again that's a bit gross but that's how we're here as a race we survive mm-hmm. so and that we you know the brain gets that rush of in, you, the 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 beautiful drug in in the brain dopamine and what whatever the other one is i can't think of it mm-hmm. but um, endorphins yeah so we we do that over and over again so you know what uh, that's why I still will challenge if addiction is actually a thing or are we just as humans, that's just what we do. And some take it to uh, dangerous levels and other people manage it a bit better than, than, than others. So, Mm. yeah, I, you know, I think it's such a, such a diverse and interesting subject. It's Mm. something that could be discussed over and over and over again. And I don't. I don't think that there has a solution, or uh, someone can say, right, this is what addiction is. I don't mm-hmm. think they're able to because I think that I don't think it is. If that makes sense, I think it just is what our brains are programmed to do mm-hmm. and run away from pain. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But also, I think there is a way of, as Lucy's saying, about triggering. The, that, the the pleasure senses as well. I'm just thinking as, as Lucy was was talking um, about athletes. You know, if you look at athletes or, or the top one percent, you know, like entrepreneurs, really successful people. Um, this week, I've kind of just been doing a little bit of studying around that, and um, it's interesting how. And you can even look at that as an addiction. You know, 
athletes are obsessed with winning, with being the number one, whether you're a fighter, you're a footballer, you're a basketball player, baseball, American, whatever. If you're an athlete or even CrossFit, you want to be the number one, you will do anything, absolutely anything. It's a complete obsession, you know, and you will go to any lens. It's exactly the same way, I guess, if you turn that in, you know, upside down from something positive to something negative, it would be exactly the same, you know. So how they channel, you know, that emotion is to go, I'm going to be the best at whatever that may be, you know. And and with, with some people, as in, you know, with our experiences is, you know, when we were suffering and we were going through our, you know, negative experiences, you know, it was, this is how we're going to deal with it, da, 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 da. But as Lucy explained, you know, there were some really good times too. You know, there were some incredible experiences that we would have had, you know, individually. And, um, you know, and now some of the things that we're doing now, we, I guess we've kind of turned that emotion around, you know, it's, it's making things, you know, really, really positive. And for me, it's, I have this kind of new obsession to, to, to be the best, you know, emotional intelligence coach and kind of mindfulness practitioner that I can be ever. And that will be a continuous journey for me. And Lucy will be the same, just being the biggest, badass therapist that she can be. <laughs> and she is. But, you know, but this is the thing in life. So what is addiction really? You know, is it really anything? Yeah. Which which actually kind of like opens up a whole can of worms as as far as yeah. as as things like you know legality and the way I mean people who suffer addictions on the worst side they might be taking something which is an illegal substance so they they're also classified as a criminal on the best side they've got a couple of screws loose mm-hmm. so I mean. You know, how how do we deal with the fact that addiction is still very much viewed in society as a weakness, as, you know, if you were strong enough, if you were good enough, if you were all of the things which we all walk around feeling that we're not enough of anyway, um, you know, then you would be able to fight this and not not fall down that hole. How, how do you feel about those kind of labels, which which we put on people who've suffered addiction, that it's a sign of weakness? Um, I think it's it's really damaging, and uh, you know, you touched on uh, the sort of legal side of stuff and people committing crimes and and for uh, for drug use and drug related, alcohol related, whatever it is. Um, there's, there is, you know, that that's, that's the reality is that it happens, you know, but it, it, we, I think we view that completely wrong because we look at those people and a lot of society call, you know, think that they're scum. And, um, I, I remember uh, hearing about this. I can't remember which country it was that did a pro- rolled out a program where criminals were actually criminals that that had drug addiction issues that went into prison because of that or alcohol, whatever it was, addiction, whatever addiction it was, they were given, uh, they were helped when they came out. They were, they, I mean, there was obviously, um, I think they were on tags or whatever it was, but they were basically, uh, it's going back to the connection thing, you know, because they've become so disconnected. These people, they feel they have to commit these crimes because they need their drug, but it doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. Now that's not to say that there aren't people that, that, you know, that are, 
I don't, I don't think anyone's born bad. I don't believe that. But I think that, that life, some people can make those choices. And there is, you know, people can do really, really bad things. And aren't some, you know, not necessarily, um, they don't want to get better sometimes, which is, again, it's their choice. But what what was found after they rolled out this program is that all these people wanted was to be able to to have a job and to have a normal life and to not be addicted to those drugs or alcohol, whatever it was that they'd done, they'd been addicted to when they committed that crime. So, um, yeah, I don't remember what country it was, and, and, I, and for, the, for the life of me, I, I can't. Remember. I read I read some around it, but it, if you know, if you have the time, it's worth looking at. Um, but also um, touching on the whole um, crime aspect as well and around drug taking in Portugal, I don't know if you know, but they've legalized drugs. So uh, when they actually legalize drugs, uh, the crime, the, the, is it the percentage or whatever it was of people that committed crimes drug related was got went down by can't give you exact figures but i think it was at least 50 percent in the whole country and that was after that they'd legalized drugs in portugal um so why can't we why aren't we doing that in other countries you know why aren't we doing in why aren't we even looking at that as as a possibility in the uk if if the if the numbers show that why aren't they looking at that? And then there's the whole other can of worms about pharmaceutical companies and the money that they make from people with prescription uh, drug addictions, which, again, are just, just as bad, if not worse, because you can go to your doctor and you can get these drugs over and over again. Mm. And they are, you know, you've got drugs like codeine um, that are, are a form of opiate. And people are, can't, people are going to their doctors and getting these prescribed or even, you know, buying them online, just going online and, and buying them online. And there isn't a procedure of having to have your prescription signed off by your GP. You just go online and you buy these, these drugs. And these drugs are just as bad as going out on the street and buying heroin because the withdrawal is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. So, yeah, sorry, I might have digressed a little bit, but... No, it, it, my my original question, though, everything you said was was fascinating and absolutely on point. But but the, the idea that somebody who falls into addiction is 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 demonstrating weakness, mm-hmm. that, you know that that was the thing because I think that uh, you know that was the kind of message I grew up with when I was a kid. You know, we got shown all the movies when I was at school about, you know, not taking drugs and this and the other. And of course the whole American campaign, just say no. And it's like, if you, you know, it's essentially what I'm trying to say is that if we, if we still associate addictive behavior with just being morally weak, we are never going to really address the problem, which is these people are in pain. Yeah, so, yes. you know, that, that was where I was kind of going with that. And I think you spoke to that, that point really nicely. Yeah. I completely agree. I think it's, I think the, my, my, my biggest gift, and I say this openly, is, has been my, my addiction or coming into recovery. You know, being able to 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 overcome that obstacle and continuously overcome that on a daily basis, you know, that's my biggest strength. But unfortunately, that message doesn't get sent out enough. You know, you have some of the celebrities out there, 
you know, like your Russell Brand, who speaks very highly of it, you know, and tries to get out there and really put a positive message. And I think we need more people to be able to do that, you know, to turn around and say there is no weakness to this, you know. For and, and trust me, you know, we have had the pleasure, you know, to 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 have to have met people who have come into recovery and have completely changed their lives, you know, and, and this is the thing. It's one of the toughest things for, for somebody to do. You know, I can use a very quick example of, of a young lad who we know, you know, I saw him a few months ago and he was coming off these opiates. He was on a script coming off and he was shaking in the meeting and uh, today, you know, this kid, he looks healthy. He's a, such a good looking kid, you know, and he's in his twenties. He's a, you know, he's a young kid, you know, and there's a couple of others as well who are still young. This is the thing that I want to send this message to. It has many people that listens to this. And, you know, and if you can share this and get this out there into the world, people to realize if you have an addictive behavior, if you're suffering with addiction, alcohol, whatever that might be, you are not weak. You're, you're just currently in a situation that you don't know how to get out of. And the biggest thing that you can do is to go out there and seek help. That's the best thing that you can do. That will be your biggest strength and that will see you through in the future. Trust me, it will change your life and it will help. You will help to change other people's lives, not just the people around you, but from what you do, it ripple effects onto somebody else, you know? And, and the, the thing is that I hope somebody in the media sees this as well and understands that they need to get their facts right. You know, because it's very easy to go and judge somebody else and then go home and put your head on the pillow and not actually look at your own lives. If you can look in the mirror and, and have a look at your own problems, you will see that we all have problems, you know, and what we've just been discussing this this whole time. Remove all of these labels, alcohol, drugs, and everything else. We all suffer from exactly the same thing. It's just that somebody just had to do it in a different way, you know. What we need to do is stop judging and start to look at things in a more kind of loving and, and kind of caring way and just really understanding that just because somebody has done something doesn't make them that person. Just because somebody's gone into addiction doesn't make them an addict, you know, and it's removing that label and just saying, you know what, brother, sister, whatever you are, put your arm around that person and say, listen, how can we help? What can we do? Wonderful you know? advice. Wonderful advice. Our time is slipping away. I just looked and see. So, Lucy, do you have any final comment? Um, Alex's advice was amazing. Do you have anything to to add to that as something you can give the listeners as a as a take home to think about? Maybe if they're having problems themselves or have somebody in the family that that, that is experiencing problems. Uh, yeah, very much what Alex said, really. And I think that it's so easy to point the finger at the person that is the problem um, in the family when really, you know, it, again, like another another thing is that addictive behaviours is it can be a family issue anyway. So if you've got someone in your family, uh, your brother or your sister um, that you may have grown up with who is an alcoholic, alcoholic it's you know drinking heavily or taking drugs whatever it is uh, and you've tried to help them you can't force someone to change you know they've got to be willing to to look at that for themselves but what I would urge people to do is is rather than looking at that person and pointing the finger at that person look at yourself Mm-hmm. and and think about yourself and how what what can you do as a person to to improve and to be a better person because it's so easy to focus on the person that's causing the problem when actually 
you know, it may well be that you're actually projecting your issues onto that person as well because you're not looking at yourself. Um, and it was just, just aimed at the people that might be listening to this that, that do, that, that are stuck in, in a rut with drink or drugs that, like Alex said, you know, it, it isn't a weakness. And I have met the most incredibly strong people who have had issues with, with drink and drugs and various other behavioral, um, issues. And, uh, the hardest thing that I've ever had to do is come into recovery because now I live every single day without using something to change how I feel. And for anyone to be able to say that in today's society is the most incredible, incredible strength that you can have. Um, You know, there are people that, that can come home and have one or two glasses of wine in a sense, they're still numb in their emotions. So they're still able to, to use something to change how they feel. We don't have that option anymore. If we come home, we've had a bad day or we're feeling rubbish. We have to find another solution for that. And that has to be connecting with another individual. And whether that's my husband or a friend over the phone or going to a meeting, that's what I have to choose to do. So it's harder work, but in the long run, it's more rewarding. That's absolutely amazing advice. I think both of you are an absolute beacon and um, I really acknowledge and appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, please do lots more of it <laughs> and um, and we'll, we'll hopefully be able to spread your message a little bit further with this podcast to, to my listeners. And for those of you who are also interested in listening to more of what Alex and Lucy have to say, well, Alex actually, because he's the head man of that, um, the Happy as Larry group has their own podcast, which is called Happy as Larry group, the feel good show. The feel good show, isn't that great? Oh, I think tune in. I, I do periodically, and it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. So, you two, thank you so much. This is a subject which I think we could talk for hours about, um, and we could, we've only scratched the surface, but I think we've we've really got the important part of the message over, um, which is something that was important to me, and I know it's very important to you. Um, I always have three tiny little questions I ask all my guests at the end. So we'll just pop those in before you rush off. Um, London Heal is all about um, mind, body, spirit medicine. And I like to encompass that into the idea of health, happiness and serenity. So both of you, how do you define the word health? What does that mean to you? You want to go first? How do I define health? Uh, Health is... Health for me is being comfortable in my body and that can mean in my mind, in my physical body or in my emotional body. So that's that's also related to sort of the spiritual side of stuff as well. So it encompasses all of those things for me. Mm. Alex? Mm. Pretty much the same, healthy mind, healthy body, healthy spirit. You know, mm-hmm. self with... I always say, you know, self-love, self-care, self-respect. Um, there is nothing wrong with being positively selfish. And I think, you know, if you can, if you can give yourself everything that you deserve, especially when you think you don't deserve, if you think you don't deserve it, you definitely do. Um, and I think that's what that's what health is all about: is treating yourself first, always putting you first, but from uh, you know, with loving kindness. Wonderful. And happiness, what do you guys do to get happy? I guess you have that little bundle of joy, which uh, which probably makes you very happy at the moment. But 
Yeah, uh, she does. Yeah, um, being being a mother um, is it, it makes me incredibly happy. It's something I've always dreamt of. I've always wanted, um, but also you know being happy is um, for me. It's practicing gratitude every day and realizing what I do have, um, because I think as humans we are programmed to think negatively quite a lot. And practicing gratitude every day. Um, it reminds me of the things that I'm blessed with. And that can be as simple as being able to turn the tap on because somebody in, in the world will never have that to, you know, they will never have running water. And we take things for granted every single day. And and I guess on a daily basis, that what that's what happiness means to me. It's being grateful mm-hmm. for, for being alive and for having the things that I do have. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I replicate that. It's, it's yeah for me. It's gratitude. I have so much of it, um, you know, and, and I share that every single day. And it's um, I think smiling. You know, <laughs> you, you you can't be happy and sad at the same time. You know, and if you can do something so simple as just smiling, you know, it can change you as an individual, but you can make somebody's day. You know, just by walking past somebody and smiling. You know, it's it's the most beautiful thing ever. And happiness for me is, is being in the moment. I think it's so important. We, we've been conditioned to regret the past and, and predict the future, you know, and we often forget to just be here, to just be here and now. Enjoy this moment with you. Enjoy this moment with my wife, you know, and, and with, you know, with our daughter and, you know, and, and my son and, and my daughter and um, just kind of family and friends. You know, I think that's what happiness is about. It's about all of the beautiful things that we have that, a lot of the times, as Lucy said, we can take for granted, you know, and, and not notice. So if you're listening and you're sat next to somebody you love, put your arm around them and tell them you love them. You know, happiness is something you can't buy. Absolutely. You listen to this on the train. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, if more people did that, the world might be a much nicer place. <laughs> So lastly, serenity. I mean, obviously, you, Alex, you know, you're a mindfulness expert, so you you know all about meditation and serenity. But um, are there other things that you do or or how important do you think that kind of a practice is to find that little, you know, few moments in every day where you just turn down the noise? Yeah. You know what? For me, serenity, I've learned. You know, one thing I could never do, just sit on my own. Sit on my own with the telly off, phone switched off or, or, or turned upside down, and just sit and just be. People fear that. It's a really scary place to be. Why? Because they think, oh, my God, you know, my head's going to go everywhere. Again, it's either going to go to the past or to the future. But there is nothing more beautiful than just experiencing what is right now. Even if your head is going you know, to all of these different places. You can never shut your head off unless you, unless unfortunately you're not here, you know? So just allowing, for me, serenity is just one of these things, again, I'm going to go back to just being here and now, you know, and just really being in touch with with yourself. Um, you know, one of the most beautiful things for me, you know, I, I pray, I do my prayer and meditation every morning and um, I did it on a train this morning and I was kind of just sat there and I could just feel everything. And there was people around me and the train was packed and I couldn't hear a thing. I didn't care what other people were doing, but my mind was just doing what it needed to do. But I was just there in that moment, enjoying every single fiber of my body, you know. And, and that for me is just serenity, just being alive and just being here. Perfect. Yeah. 
Luce? Um, yeah, serenity to, to me is um, it's being free from uh, the bondage of my past um, that ruined my life for so many years mm. and now having worked so hard on, on healing from that stuff, um, it's I, I feel not, not serene every single day. I'm not like walking on air or anything, mm. but for me, that's what serenity is now that's what that's what it is and uh, another thing the way serenity i feel serenity as well is is not being affected by other people like i used to be um because other people and their opinions and what other people were doing and uh what somebody else has or what this person has done or what they said to me two weeks ago or five years ago it ruled my life because it was this constant chatter that i was never ever felt good enough because somebody else had something better than me or somebody else had an opinion on on something and uh not caring anymore about that stuff uh gives me peace and serenity and and that's not to say that these you know these things come because i practice to to have that stuff if i don't do the things i need to do then i can very quickly go back into to feeling not so great so having that serenity does take work as well mm-hmm. wise words well both of you thanks again so much really appreciate the time and um bless you bless your family and as i said before keep doing what you're doing because we need more people like you thank Thank you thank you so much for having us thank you thanks well dear listeners thank you so much there to alex and lucy and what an incredibly powerful and difficult subject it is um talking about addiction but i think they both got the message which you may have noticed is is also very much my message through too that you know addiction is is not a weakness it's it's uh also probably not simply a case of your brain chemicals not working properly but it's as lucy said perhaps it's not even a thing at all it's just something we all do and knowing that reach out ask for help because it's there and there's nothing wrong with you but there could be so much more right um i think that's a very powerful and important message Please, if you enjoyed this show as much as I did and you think it's of value to people that um, that you know, um, that you come into contact with, that are clients, friends, relatives, anybody who may be struggling with this issue, please pass it on. That's what we do this for, so that the right people who really need this information can actually access it. In order to help us do that, please rate, review us on iTunes, subscribe, and of course, go over and visit us on our Facebook page and like us there and support us because that's podcast currency. We need you to be here to be able to get great guests to come on and share their really important messages, which at the end of the day are there to empower you to make the right decisions for your health care. And so, my dear listeners, that leaves me, as always, wishing you health, happiness and serenity.